Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. My guest today is Jean McCarthy, and we're going to talk about survival strategies for the holiday season. You might know Jean from the Bubble Hour podcast. She's been the host for years and years and is an award-winning blogger and podcaster who's best known as a voice for recovery advocacy. Jean is also an author. Her collection of poetry, The Ember Ever There, Poems on Change, Grief, Growth, Recovery, and Rediscovery, came out earlier in 2020. And I actually interviewed Jean for this podcast in episode nine about her poetry and her story. Her book, The Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide, Staying Alcohol-Free During the Festive Season, is a wonderful resource about sobriety for people in recovery and for their families. And Jean also started her blog, Unpickled, in 2011 and has continued to chronicle her alcohol-free lifestyle since her first day of sobriety. 
thousands of readers have credited Unpickled as a motivating factor in their decision to quit drinking. So Jean, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm really glad to talk about this. I think it's so important. This time of year really trips up a lot of people, and I think it can kind of blindside them because, you know, even people that might have quit drinking in January, by the time they get to the end of the year, they think, oh, I've been doing this for almost a year. I've got this. And then you hit this cluster of gatherings and office parties, and then it's year-end, and sometimes this time of year is financially stressful, and it can really blindside people that there's, there's just so much happening at this time of year, and that can undermine the recovery. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I remember I quit drinking in mid-February, and so that was quite a bit of time, almost 10 months before Christmas and nine months for Thanksgiving, if I'm doing the math right. And you know, I thought I was good. I had done a ton of work. I'd been on vacation to Europe, not drinking. I'd done my birthday. I think it was my 40th or my 41st sober. I mean, I had seen all my friends. I felt great. And yet on Christmas Eve, my husband said, hey, would you mind if I open a bottle of wine with your mom? A bottle of red wine, which was my jam. And we sat around Christmas dinner with the bottle of wine open. And I swear to God, I've never seen anyone drink wine that fucking slowly in my life. (laughs) It was killing me. It was absolutely killing me. Like I was just, it ruined my dinner. And it wasn't that I was going to grab it and drink it. It was that it was my favorite thing right in front of me. And I had not had to sit around with that, you know, so slowly. I don't keep wine in my house to this day. And I have parties and people come and go with it, but we don't usually sit around with three adults with it just sitting in front of us. So um, I thought I was good. And the next night, my husband's like, we can open another bottle of wine. And I was like, nope, you're done. No more. And he was like, oh, okay. You know, like, guess we're done. I was like, yep, have a beer. So, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of things going on in that story. You know, it's not just that you were being presented with uh, something that felt like temptation, but also a little bit of um, you having to be uncomfortable so someone else can enjoy the occasion. But there's also a feeling of, hey, this is my special event as well. I've been waiting all year for this special time of year, and now I have to spend it watching you guys do something that makes me uncomfortable. And then what happens? Oh, the resentment start. And boy, our addictive voice in our head loves nothing better than a good resentment. That is the thin edge of the wedge. It just starts the whole thing going. Then they want to, you know, it was a bottle between two people, which I would have no trouble taking down in like zero seconds flat, right? I mean, but they... Oh my God. Like we went to play board games afterwards and it was like just sitting there. Nobody was drinking it, but it's right in front of me. And then I went to put my daughter to bed and I took a good hour to do it. I was texting my sober bestie and I was like, I'm going to fucking kill them if I come down and they haven't finished that. I mean, I was refilling it for them, like just finished. (laughs) And it was still there. I literally was like, y'all have to finish this. But yeah, you're right. It was everything. It was everything. And I was still so glad, I guess it was Christmas Eve, to wake up on Christmas morning, not hungover, remembering everything, feeling the joy. But I was like, yeah, we're not doing that again. 
And there's such a disconnect, even the fact that your husband said the next day, oh, we're going to do that again. Is that okay? You're like, no, you nearly killed me with that. They have no idea. And that's not their fault because there's that disconnect. And that's something I wrote about in this book too. I included in every chapter on every topic, a section for friends and family to kind of say, hey, here's something you need to know about either how you're affecting the sober person in your life with your behavior, which they may not tell you, (laughs) and also what you can do to be a supportive person. And you know, it's not their fault that they have no idea. If they're normies, then they they don't know what it's like to be so obsessed with a bottle of open alcohol sitting on the counter because it doesn't feel that way to them. And if you've said, oh, it's fine, that's what they've heard. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> they might not speak that hidden language. <laughs> if you haven't drank in 10 months, how would they know that somehow this time right. was different, yeah. right? Because I've been to dinner parties and I'd had people, we had a white elephant party where everybody came over and I would normally drink and I didn't. And that somehow didn't bother me. So you're right. You don't know what the event is that's going to be triggering to you. And what was to me might be different for someone. And how you feel today might be different than how you felt yesterday. Or it might have bothered you last time, but you didn't say anything. And you promised yourself next time you're going to say something. So when that family member says, oh, Casey's fine if we have a glass of wine, she doesn't mind. Because they're thinking based on past behavior. Uh, And then this time. just to be able to speak up and say, actually, I'm not fine. It's not okay with me. Because the stronger we get in our recovery, the more we learn about ourselves. And we have to be willing to speak up. I found that really hard when I first got sober. I I was in the camp, the very much the people pleaser and saying, nobody has to do anything differently. This is all on me. Life will be exactly the same, except I won't be drinking. Well, guess what? Part of the reason I was drinking was because of the way my household was running. You know, I was just doing too much and I wasn't really saying what I wanted. And uh, I think it would have been much better to say right from the beginning, okay, let's try this with no alcohol in the house. Let's try this with not having uh, me host, me bartend, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the the more I healed myself in recovery, the more I did learn to advocate and to speak up. So I think it's important for family members to realize that just because you were okay with it or they thought you were okay with it or you lied and said you were okay with it last Mm -hmm. week or last month, maybe you're not actually okay with it this time. They really need to. Or if you were white knuckling to be okay with it and it took everything out of you that it could have done. Right. Um, Yeah. And also I hear from a lot of people like people who are going on vacation and they're like, well, it's my husband's vacation too. It's my mom's vacation too. You know, you're like, it's their Christmas Eve too. I don't want to put a damper on it. They will resent me. You know, they will be mad at me or have a terrible time if they don't drink. And the truth is, you know, when you are in early sobriety or any time, you're the one doing all the hard work. And this is difficult and addictive. And if you have sober momentum, it's so precious. You're allowed to make them be a little bit put out. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. if they don't get everything that they want in life. We're so used to doing everything for other people. Yeah. And I, I also think sometimes we get a little bit addicted to, well, there's the people pleasing, but then there's also the drama. And there's the idea of like, 
if I'm not people pleasing, then I'm causing drama. You know, I'm causing people to not like yeah. me. And the truth is most people don't mind if you set a healthy boundary, especially if you're not demanding that they accommodate you in every way. So it's okay to say, all right, I understand that it's a champagne toast at midnight is really important to my friends and family at this party. Now, you don't have to demand they not do it. You can say, hey, guys, I'm leaving at 11. <laughs> Kiss, kiss. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> have a wonderful time, yeah. right? Um, that's a healthy yeah. boundary. And you don't have to do it in a way that is explosive and is like, I'm leaving if you don't do this my way. It's, it's okay to yeah. say you can have what matters to you and I can have what matters to me. And, you know, what, what you're going to give up is that you're going to leave early if, you're, if that's what you choose to do. You're, you're not going to be part of that, but you're also not going to be part of the discomfort of it either. And honestly, yeah. I would rather be in my PJs <laughs> at that last part of the night anyway. Um, but there's middle ground. And that's what I think people really need to start reimagining is what the middle ground looks like. Because when it comes to the holiday season, we sort of have these glorified you know, TV commercial ideas of how everything should be so sparkling and perfect. And this is how you celebrate certain holidays. These are the elements of a perfect looking Thanksgiving. These are the elements of a fun and perfect New Year's Eve party. And we don't actually stop to ask ourselves what we want or how else we could do it. We sometimes just follow those traditions unquestioningly, put tons of pressure on ourselves to make it look fabulous and be fabulous, and then lose ourselves in the process. I love that. So tell me, you know, when should people start thinking about the holidays and our sobriety or how to successfully stay alcohol-free without just being totally miserable about it. So, uh, you know, if you're on the doorstep of the <laughs> of your parents' house about to ring the doorbell, um, you know, at least that's one time to be thinking about it. But I say back right up before the invitations even come. I mean, we're recording this in October. Now's a great time to be thinking about it. And I think the thing we have to start with is our expectations. So just take some time to yourself and think about what are my unspoken expectations of the holidays? Do I have some kind of glorified ideal in mind that I'm trying to live up to? And what price is that going to cost me emotionally and mentally and physically to uphold those? So one thing we learn that is so helpful in recovery is that resentments that we hold can really mess with our mind. And resentment is where addiction loves to flourish. You know, those little mental anger and discomfort, that is like a mental cancer, really. <laughs> it's like it's what addiction grabs onto. And anything that we can do to sort of identify and lessen resentments helps. And what we learn is that resentments are usually the product of expectations. So what we learn to do is to not just address our resentments, but to start to identify our expectations because an expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. So the reason I talk about this now is because traditions are basically an expectation, and we have and we place them on ourselves and we place them on others and we feel that you know this is how my family has celebrated this holiday for 30 years and i'm going to come along and ruin it with my sobriety well then you're expecting 
a certain outcome that may not be true. And to say to your family, hey, I know we always do things this way. I know. And so maybe if if a tradition is that your family dinner starts at 4 p.m. and it starts with drinks and it goes till midnight and there's alcohol the whole time and you're thinking, there's no way I can make it through that. That is not going to work for me. Um, Here's a chance to talk to family members and say, you know that way we always do things? I don't feel like that's going to work for me this year. So how can we make some adjustments to make it better? Could we start it at three and have, you know, a coffee hour first? And maybe you just go for that part of it. Or could we make it alcohol-free? You know, some families that would be fine and some families no way. So maybe you can carve out some times within it that it would be alcohol-free. Or you could say, you know, I can handle the first couple hours. It's only, you know, after dinner when things get sloppy that it starts to get uncomfortable with me. Fine. Plan to to leave at that point. But really look Mm -hmm. at the traditions and understand that you're setting yourself up for expectations and try to see what you can adjust to be better for you. Yeah. And I think that we feel like we're required to do things and we're really not. (laughs) And suggesting new things is okay. Like instead of starting at four and having it be a booze fest, I love starting at three or two and going for a hike or going snowshoeing. You know, there's snowshoeing in the winter around here or going for a sleigh ride. Like try something different that isn't necessarily centered around alcohol or sledding and just saying that you're doing it because it would be super fun for the kids it will be super fun for the kids and great for adults who've never been slow showing if they're able or whatever, and you're actually improving it. And then you got exercise, you got fresh air, you come home, you have dinner and it's over and it's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so many things like that. Decorating cookies. Um, Last year, my sister and I, I made her come snowshoeing in the woods with me and we made a labyrinth in the snow. Wow. uh, A walking labyrinth, a meditation labyrinth. And it was so fun. And that's something we would have never done together in the past. So there's a lot of ways that you can rethink things and introduce something new. And here's another thing. Uh, especially in early recovery, if you are in those baby, baby stages of your recovery, it's really fragile, it's really tender, traveling can be difficult, socializing can be difficult. You know what? You have my permission. Jean says you can stay home. Yeah. You don't have to go. If you had caught the flu at the last moment, you wouldn't have gone right? I mean, you say, I have to go. I can't not go. Well, um, no, it's that you're afraid of the consequences of not going. But just say you've got the flu. A little white lie is okay if it's going to protect something as important as your sobriety. Just consider the idea of not going and see how that feels. Give yourself that break because even though you might not want to miss out on it or you might really worry about what people are going to think or how it's going to be, I can tell you it's okay. I've got three adult children that are married. Some years they don't all make it to Christmas. Some years they all do. And it's wonderful regardless. Obviously, my preference is always to have them always together all the time, (laughs) like most mothers. But if someone says, hey, we have to go to the other side of the family this year, that's great. I'm happy for them that they have other places to be. And 
if they said, we all got food poisoning and we can't come, well, what am I going to do, right? So I think it's totally fair to remember that the sun will still rise tomorrow yeah. if you stay home. Well, and not only that, I mean, I actually did that. I stopped going home for Thanksgiving to my mom's right around the time that I stopped drinking the same year. It was a big deal in my mind because her mother always hosted Thanksgiving. That was actually the big holiday. My my Nana and Nana is now the Nana of my kids. And it was this big thing that Nana hosts Thanksgiving. Everybody flies in. And we live in Seattle and my husband works at a school. So could not leave before end of day Wednesday, had to be back for Monday. We were taking red eyes with kids to DC. And it was just super stressful, super expensive. And I drank there, right? That was my, that was my habit. That's what I did. And I just, you know, I was terrified to say it, but I was like, Hey mom, I think we're going to stay in Seattle this year. And I didn't necessarily say it was because I was sober and not drinking. And I think that was part of it, but it was also that I didn't love it. It was hard for me. It was a stress. And you know, in sobriety, if you don't want to do something, or you feel like you're going to be triggered to drink because of something, rethink what that thing is. And what Mm -hmm. ended up happening, which, you know, my mom was gracious about it. And I'm sure she would have loved having everyone in her house. But you know, also, we had two kids, and it was far away and whatever, and our family adjusted. So my mom now goes to my sister's for Thanksgiving, and comes to our house for Christmas for over a week. And I love Christmas in our home. Um, My mom's a widow. That's another reason I felt bad not going, right? She lives alone. It's the least I can do, you know, give her this one thing. But it ended up being a new tradition. And my family, my little nuclear family, now I actually don't even like to cook for Thanksgiving. Like it's just not something I love. So we now, my husband's like, I don't care, but I want turkey. And not only that, I want leftover turkey. Like, and so I somehow found a restaurant on the waterfront in Seattle where you get a whole turkey dinner. They literally bring you a turkey and carve it at your table. It's got a view of the water with all the sides. And when you're done, they give you the turkey sliced up in a paper bag to take home. And we are home in our pajamas by 5 p.m. watching football, and it is heaven. Right. And you would you ever have considered doing that in the past? No. How amazing. And when you talk about when you used to go to your mom's for Thanksgiving, you would drink there. And to me, that says that you drank to cope. So the traveling was stressful and being there was stressful. And much as I'm sure you love your mom, you know, it's just, it's a hectic thing, especially for families that are leaving a business behind or have kids to pack. Like really for me as a grandma, I say, Hey guys, it's a lot easier for me to come to you than it is for you to come to me. Like, Let me drop in rather than other people shuffling their families around from place to place. So It's really, it's so great. And you are at home, you have some stuff. Like I had my morning workouts. I had the things that I did. I had all my tea. I had, you know, my morning routine, you know, my room to retreat to. It's a lot easier than when you're bunking in a room with your two-year-old next to you to be like, okay, I've had enough. So having people, if you can travel to your safe space, has its own challenges. But for me, it was so much easier and just opting out of going places or I know people who go home, but get a hotel room, so they can Mm -hmm. leave and then retreat to a safe place in the evenings and leave early if they need to. 
That is a wonderful tip, and it's something I recommend in this book. If you are visiting family and your family uh, is, even if you all get along really well, if, if there's going to be alcohol on site and there's not an easy way for you to retreat, um, to stay off-site somewhere in a hotel or Airbnb or in your RV if you have one, <laughs> whatever you can do to give yourself your own space. And um, that might be a little bit hard for people to accept too if it's something new, but I think we just have to be mindful of, you know, we need to treat ourselves with the same amount of consideration and kindness as we want to extend to our families. And I think that's really important. As I mentioned in the book, there's a section in each chapter for friends and families. And this is something that has turned out to be a real help because people hand this book to their loved ones and say, you know, read this because then they don't have to have that conversation. Or one gal wrote that she was reading the book and when she got to the friends and family section, she would read it aloud to her husband and they would use it as a discussion starter. And it's a chance where maybe she didn't feel quite comfortable saying to her husband, I need you to do this for me, but to read, hey, this book suggests this. What do you think of this? I think that I would help. That. Let's talk about it. So it's kind of a non-threatening way to have some conversation starters. And you may find that all of the suggestions that I have for friends and family aren't um, exactly what you need as a person in recovery, but it's still a great discussion starter to say, hey, this suggests this. This isn't what I think I would need, but let's Let's yeah. tweak this a little bit. Well, and just in your book, you give concrete, practical ideas of different ways to think about it. And I think that's so important to have someone else spur that idea. Like I remember talking to a client and she's like, well, I haven't asked my husband not to drink on vacation. And I was like, why not? And she was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like I just haven't. And I was like, well, why don't you say maybe it'll be fun. Maybe we could try something without drinking. Here's why I think it would be great for us, including like not having the kids see alcohol around every night and us getting up earlier. And so then she texted me. It was like, oh my God, I asked him and he said yes. And I'm over the moon. And I was like, that's wonderful. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Because, it, you know, we think it's so important that because when you've experienced addiction, you know, it was like so important to you. You couldn't imagine going on vacation without it. But a lot of people could take it or leave it. Yeah. And especially if it's to the benefit of someone they love. So um, asking the question or having the discussion, finding ways around it is great. Um, I, I love that she did that. And I think that is so important. And this is really what preparing for the holiday season comes down to is thinking about things and talking about things. So there's a lot of assumptions, you know, it's your turn to host this year. We just assume that all 30 of us are coming to your house for dinner. Or you host uh, let's every year. <laughs> yeah, or you host every year. Or, you know, we're just assuming that you're going to bring the mashed potatoes for 40 people. Or So let's, again, assumptions, expectations, resentments, yeah. Those are not good for us as people in recovery. Not good for anyone, but particularly have consequences for people that are trying to support themselves in recovery. Well, and especially if you can get creative and suggest a yeah. win-win or suggest a new yes. idea, right? So I know a lot of people are uncomfortable you know, maybe they don't want their family to know why they've stopped drinking, or they don't want to make a big deal of it, or they're just saying they're on a health kick. So they don't want to be like, 
well, it shouldn't be an issue if I'm just on a health kick, but you can still suggest a different setup than you have had previously. You can suggest brunch instead of dinner. If you're seeing extended family, you can, you know, there are lots of excuses. Oh gosh, the traffic's really bad. I don't want to drive at night or I'm staying in a hotel because my husband's having trouble sleeping. Like the white lies, no yeah, problem. Exactly. I think that's so true. And I think we just have to, if we're going to be people pleasers, great. Let's people please ourselves. Let's give ourselves the same <laughs> effort of people pleasing as Courtesy. we would to someone yeah. else. Because guess what? You're a person too. You matter just as much as all those other people that you're trying to please. Uh, that was news to me for yeah. sure. And that's a, a new way to look at it. So yeah, we talked about some of those fun things we can do. You know, the hot chocolate and, and uh, snowman making contest or having um, some more family friendly stuff. But I think there's some some really good socializing strategies that I have relied on over the years that are just tried and true ways of getting through the events that you can't get out of the office Christmas party, the neighborhood Christmas party here, <laughs> or New Year's Eve party, or uh, Thanksgiving, yeah. whatever, you know, ugly sweater party, whatever you can't get out of. Um, and for me, you know, those really important tips are, first of all, show up with your own non-alcoholic drink of choice. Um, you don't have to carry in four cases of LaCroix. You're only going to be there a couple hours. So put a couple cans in your purse and um, or keep a couple in your vehicle if you need to run out and get more. But show up with your drink of choice. And if you do this every time you go to visit friends or every time you get together with your friends, you know what the people who love you start to do? they start to have it on hand for you. Or if you leave some behind, they're probably not going to drink it. They'll have it next time you're there. But we can train the people we love as to what is great to have on hand for us. But they probably, if you're new to recovery and you haven't been talking about it a whole lot or if people don't know that you're not drinking, well, they're not necessarily going to plan ahead. And uh, most people are notorious for having horrible non-alcoholic options you know there's they basically have what's there for the children so there's water bottles yeah. and juice boxes and um, so if you want to make your own you know lovely non-alcoholic mojitos muddle some mint and some soda and a little bit of sugar and put that in a pretty bottle and put your name on it with some tape bring that along or bring a few cans of something that you like I love non-alcoholic mojitos. That's like my favorite restaurant yeah, drink. Really it's lovely. So good. And there's really awesome stuff that isn't sparkling apple cider, which I'm like, yeah. Like there is, I love this company called Groovy. Their website's Get Groovy, and they have non-alcoholic Prosecco. It's a hundred percent Prosecco, zero percent alcohol. It comes in these little Tiffany blue kind of bottles. It's sparkly. It, it is my really? favorite. So, and that there's lots of lovely choices. Uh, one thing I think bears talking about is when we're talking about non-alcoholic drinks or mocktails, sometimes that is a point of disagreement among people in recovery. There's lots of people who say, no way, man, <laughs> like non-alcoholic drinks are for non-alcoholics. <laughs> Um, I find like I would never drink a non-alcoholic wine because wine was my thing and I would really worry about it triggering me. But I seem to be able to have one or two non-alcoholic beers and, you know, I'm just not that interested in them. So they don't 
make me want to have more. But then I think, well, why am I drinking something I'm not interested in? So well, I actually love non-alcoholic beer. And when I went to Amsterdam, I had a ton of non-alcoholic beer and people who even drink alcohol have it just when they're like, oh yeah, I don't feel like the buzz or I'm getting up early. So I am totally, it is up to you. In my mind, I see the alcohol as the problem, not the flavor mm-hmm. or the can. Um, I mean, I've been drinking non-alcoholic beer for four years now and I don't, I don't have any problem with it. Um, same for Prosecco. I'm like, there's zero alcohol in it. How can it be mm-hmm. a problem? I haven't felt, I just feel like it's like better tasting apple sparkling yeah. stuff. But I know everyone yeah. is different. I mean, some people don't think you should drink kombucha. And I'm not a kombucha girl, but I know tons of sober women who drink it. So there are options completely that are, you know, not even referencing alcohol, but you know, in my mind, if you are not consuming alcohol, then you're not totally, consuming yeah. alcohol. I think it's more of a trigger warning. That's what I think. I think it's more know yes. that yes. it some things might trigger you and that's what you have to watch out for. And so if you have, if you, if someone gives you a case of non-alcoholic beer, let's say, and you try one and you think, oh, this makes me want real beer. Well then, okay, don't yeah. have that. And yeah. P.S., don't keep that case of non-alcoholic beer in your house either. Get it out of there. Um, Agreed. But if it's not triggering for you, then I think we all have a certain amount of agency in our recovery, right? I mean, we, we can define yeah. for ourselves yeah. how we want it to be. And, and um, But I always think that's a, that's a good point for people to be aware of. And especially if you're going to your first big party and you're taking something along that you've never had before, just to know like, hey, if you're going to be around alcohol or alcohol is going to be around you and you're drinking this non-alcoholic thing that looks exactly like what everyone else is drinking, you're putting yourself in a position where there could be a fine line if you're feeling really triggered to pick up that glass instead of this glass. (laughs) So uh, that's just something I like to caution people about. And again, so plan ahead, bring your own drinks, have your own transportation. That's another really helpful tip. Um, for the first, gosh, I don't even know, even still after almost a decade, my husband and I, if we go somewhere, there's a discussion first of like, Hey, I'm probably going to want to leave before you do. So do you want to take two vehicles? Do you want to take a cab home? I'll come back and get you in my PJs when you're ready to leave. But I'm leaving when I want to leave. And that's really important. So sometimes when people know you don't drink, there's pressure on you to be the designated driver. Um, Oh, great. We're all going out and you're the only sober. Oh, that is a great suggestion. I haven't thought about that designated driver. So you have to stay at the bar. So don't put yourself in that position. You lovingly tell your friends, oh, yes, I have another thing I have to get to. So I can't be your designated driver. I have to bring my own vehicle. I'll meet you there and I might have to leave early. This is my favorite tip. So when you arrive, you have in one hand, you have your beverage of choice that's for you. In your other hand, you have some lovely hostess gift for the hostess, just a nice little gift bag. And as you hand it to the host or hostess, you say, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is lovely. By the way, I have something else I have to get to. I might have to slip out. So if I don't get a chance to say goodbye, just so you know, I might have to slip out. I'll just leave quietly if I have to. Thank you so much for having me. So now you can stay, right? If you stay till the end and they're like, hey, didn't you have something else to go to? Uh, You can say, oh, yeah, it's fine. It got canceled. Uh, But if you think this is getting, I've had all I can handle and it's been an hour. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can leave. You yeah. don't have to say a word to anyone. The host already knows. Oh, yeah, she said she had to go somewhere. Well, and I never thought about that while you're giving the hostess gift, you know, just planting the seed there so it's not rude. Like, that's genius. And also, I love to plan like a sober treat for yourself after leaving, being like, yep, I'm going to this party. I'll get to talk to people. And when I get home, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to get a big cup of cocoa. I'm going to get in my bed with my essential oil diffuser, whatever it is that you're excited about. Exactly. So that other thing you have to get away for, they don't need to know that it's a date with yourself, right? They don't need to know that it's a date with the bubble bath on the edge of the tub. Um, It really is though. Make a date with yourself or make a leave something special for yourself to go home to. That's the other thing. You don't want to leave the party and then be, you know, wah, wah, walking into your house and then having a pity party when you When it can be watching the holiday, right? With Cameron Diaz and, you know, that Kate Winslet, like that is a good, that is a good treat. Yeah, save some fun thing on Netflix that's just for you to watch. Have a little treat in your fridge ready to go, whether it's some ice cream or, you know, something that's an extra serving of that lovely mojito that you made for yourself, non-alcoholic mojito, or um, some new slippers that you're going to put on, just some lovely thing to go home and say, good job, Casey. Good job, Jean. Um, Now it's, now here's a little treat for me. Well, and the other thing I thought of, I thought of two things as you were saying that one, when you walk in, if you don't know the host that well, Um, they're usually so busy greeting a ton of people, they won't have a ton of time to be like, what is that thing? Or what a bummer. Like, usually they're just like, they see you, then they're greeting the next person. Everybody's hugging. It's just so passing. That is perfect. And with a good friend, I actually think coming early and leaving early is really nice. I had someone tell me the other day that they went with a bunch of girlfriends and in the beginning, it was really nice because it was like three of them and they got to talk and it wasn't a big deal not to be drinking. But once eight of them were there and they had six bottles of wine around a small table and they were getting, you know, talking really loud and getting really over the top, it wasn't as fun. So going early, if you're close to the people and they, you know, you actually want to spend time with them can also be good. You can help them get ready and put out the food and have a little chat and then leave and feel like, you got exactly. to talk to Yes. And I think announcing that you're leaving draws attention to it. And then it makes you kind of nervous. And then people say, where are you going? Or, oh, don't go. We're just getting started. You want to avoid all of that. You don't want to get into the, oh, I have yes. to go to a thing. What thing? Oh, you know, if you just like, just slip out. It's the best feeling in the world. It truly is. To me, it feels like the end of the graduate, you know, when they're driving away on the bus. Uh, I was at a, um, an awards night, a industry awards night thing, you know, a real she-she event. And I kind of realized partway into it, I can leave. Like I've already done, I had to make an appearance. I had to say hi to the mayor, you know, that kind of thing. And when dinner was over and then there was this long thing afterwards, I realized I don't need to be here for any of this. So I just said to my table mates, oh, I'm going to go powder my nose. And then I left and I just got the giggles in my car. I felt like I was skipping school. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful. So um, think about that. See, that's something most of us wouldn't really do. Most of us, when we're drinking, we're the last ones to leave and we regret it the next day. So 
it's a really great experience. I mean, on top of being a great way to protect your sobriety, it's kind of a fun thing to do. So I definitely recommend that. Yeah. And you feel great the next morning. Like you probably aren't quite so sluggish the entire holiday season. You're actually getting up. You're still exercising. Maybe you're hiking. Maybe you're doing more active things on Saturday morning, could cooking breakfast or pancakes or getting your coffee by yourself. Like there are a lot of joys that are not centered around the late night at the party. And you probably have just not experienced them mm-hmm. in years. And even just the freedom from, oh, what did I say? Oh, I'm remembering that conversation. I wonder how I came across. You know, all of that. Not worrying about that anymore is a really wonderful feeling too. You remember every exchange. Yeah. You feel good about things. If you were awkward, oh, well, you were just awkward. You know, <laughs> at least you weren't drunk and awkward. Yeah. So uh, it, it is really a great feeling to be, um, be in charge of how you're interacting with people. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of the reason why a lot of us drink is because we feel a little socially awkward or have some social anxiety and think that it takes the edge off, but it kind of makes things worse, not better. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about you don't have to go to everything because there are some people that you absolutely love and you want to go to and they're super close to your family or your kids will have a great time or sometimes it's family, right? And you feel like you don't have to do everything, right? You probably should see them, but that does not mean doing everything you've previously done. But there are also a lot of invites that people may or may not care if you actually come. Like you're on the giant list. You could just as easily be like, oh, so sorry, I have a conflict or my spouse has a conflict or we're gonna, we already have time, you know, plans to go somewhere. And so that's legitimate too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just the knee-jerk acceptance of invitations is a, a really easy way to get overloaded feeling like you need to say yes to everything you're invited to. So it's really, for the first time in our lives, I think for a lot of us, it's recovery is an invitation to ask ourselves, what do I really want? How do I really feel about this? And to honor that. That's something new. And it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned briefly a big work event that you had to go to. But what about those office holiday parties? Well, they're tricky, right? They're tricky because you, depending on your profession, <laughs> uh, you there's yeah. some obligation to show up. You know, there's, there's some important things that need to get done. Um, and for the people that are hosting them, I think there's some, There's a reason why they're being held in the first place. So I think it's really important when it comes to work stuff is just to take a pause and understand why is this event being held? Why is my work doing this? Is it to socialize with clients? Is it to drum up new business? Is it to say thank you to our trade suppliers? What's the purpose of this event? And rather than uh, just showing up and feeling like you have to show up and represent and be fun or act fun, (laughs) uh, appear fun, uh, to actually be able to say, what's the purpose of this? And then meet that purpose. So if the purpose is this is to network and increase your business if you're in sales, for example, great. Go early, talk to everyone you need to talk to, you know, Zoom the room, and then leave. You don't need to stay. 
know the purpose of it. If the purpose is uh, FaceTime with, you know, higher ups in the company or lower down in the company or peers, I mean, there's usually a reason why that event is being held. So figure that out. Go and do what your purpose is in doing it and then leave. But again, it's going through the motions of, oh, there's a staff party. Alcohol is free. I'm going to show up and drink as much as I can and eat as much as I can because it's all free. That mindset we have to let go of. Might have been okay in college, but we're adults now. (laughs) We don't need to do that. Uh, We just need to really figure out what's expected of me. What's the purpose of this? Go, do it, and leave. And if the expectation is, you know what? Listen, you are a person in this company who needs to be at this event and stay till the very end, um, then that's something that's going to need some work, some planning for. And I think you have to just build a lot of supports into your evening. So you need to make sure that you're going to have things that you can eat and drink at that event that'll suit you. So if there's a way to make sure that those things will be on hand, if not, keep some in your car um, so that you can slip out (laughs) and bring in what you need. Uh, My husband has actually at events made the bartender go and run across the street to the 7-Eleven and pick up non-alcoholic drinks because they didn't have any there. There's ways to sort of protect yourself and make sure that you have what you need to get through the evening. There's a great acronym, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So to me, all of these happen by the end of a party, right? (laughs) I'm hungry and there's nothing but potato chips or something to eat. Uh, I'm angry because I didn't want to be there in the first place and now everybody's drunk and I'm not and I feel weird, Uh, lonely because I feel like an outsider and I'm tired. I just want to go home. Well, those are the big triggers and they, I, I can just I can almost feel it in my body even as I talk about it. So how can you head those things off, right? Uh, Have a bag of granola or something in your purse so that if there's nothing for you to eat when you're hungry, when your blood sugar starts to dip, you can deal with that independent of whether or not the buffet has been set out yet or not. Um, Angry, what can you do about that? Can you go in the bathroom and text a buddy? Can you get in an online group and check in with your group? Mm. Can you flip through your pictures on your phone and look at some happy images that make you feel better? Uh, Can you go and book yourself a massage for tomorrow through some online booking system? Like, what can you do in the moment to address the discomfort that you're feeling? So um, I really think that we have to be proactive for ourselves. But again, this would be a planning ahead thing. What's expected of you? How long do you need to be there? And what do you need to have on you when you go to make sure you're going to make it through that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, but I'm always like eat before you go to a party or even a business dinner or whatever, because hunger is a huge trigger. It just lowers your defenses. You want what's in front of you. And also like a lot of times food is not served right away. So like if you have a string cheese in your purse, if you have a granola bar, um, all that kind of stuff, it helps a lot. Like I know that when I'm hungry, like people are like, whoa, watch out, mom, mom's hungry, can't (laughs) deal. And then 
it is fine to tell people like I'm on antibiotics. I have to meet a friend super early. Um, I'm not feeling a hundred percent. So I'm going to duck out early and like grab the waiter. If it's one of those big, you know, I know those school auctions where there's wine just report and report and they come by every two or three minutes and say, Oh, do you want red or white? If they see you without one, one grab a drink. Doesn't matter if it's a Diet Coke, but like you can usually get cranberry and soda and lime, but also tell the waiter like, hey, I'm not drinking tonight. They don't know if you're pregnant. They don't know what the deal is and say, so please don't bring me any wine. And if you could keep this drink mm-hmm. coming, I mean, they're Give them 10 bucks that. if you need to. Your sobriety is worth it, right? Yeah. Uh, you would have spent that on alcohol yeah. when you were drinking. Like make your... Right, like oh, way more than that. <laughs> I mean, the the porters and the bus boys, they typically don't get. I shouldn't say bus boys, busing staff. They typically don't get um, tipped by people. It's usually the servers that do. So you know, make somebody your wingman, basically. You know, pull them aside, give yeah. them a tip, ask them to keep your water glass filled. Um, I find usually at events, there's pitchers of water around on the tables. So as soon as I get there. Um, if there are glasses out, I will give my wine glass to the waiter and say, you can take this away or I'll fill it up with water and I will just keep it filled so that if there's something in it, they never try to pour anything else in it. Um, I, st- yeah. I still like the look of holding a stem glass, especially when I'm dressed up. So, so I'll oh, pour too. my water into my wine glass. Um, but if that's triggering to even just have a wine glass in your hand, or if you feel like it's confusing and it might get filled up by mistake with wine, then use a water glass and just keep it in your hand and you're in charge of keeping that thing full. Well, and ginger ale, like most people won't question what ginger ale is in your glass very much. And most people don't care what's in your glass. They just, right. It's just, if someone is a host, Part of their duty as the host is to make sure everyone gets enough to eat and enough to drink. So if they see an empty glass, they're going to try to fill it. And if you're able to say, oh, don't worry about me. I brought my own. It's here. Or, oh, I'm really great. I'm having a wonderful time. Like, give them the grace of saying, you're doing a good job. Yeah. And I know a lot of people feel triggered or put on the spot when hosts immediately come in the door and they say, oh, what can I get you to drink? There's wine. There's beer. Here's the thing. All they want to do is check you yeah. off the list as you're good so they can move on to yes. the next person. Like there it's it's a shorthand because of society that means I want you here, you're welcome, I want you to have fun. It they really, as long as they feel like you're good, whatever it is, they're so happy. here's my other tip that got me through the early days, and that is practice before you leave home in front of a mirror practice saying no thank you oh I'm great thank you so much I brought my own can I put it in the fridge this sounds like something we shouldn't need to rehearse but I promise you if you say it a few times when you're alone your brain instead of trying to come up with it out of thin air in the awkwardness of the moment it'll be pulling from the recall you'll build a little bit of muscle memory. It'll come out just a little bit easier out of your mouth in the moment. And it gives you a little less of that deer in the headlights look of like, uh, what do I say now? So practice some of those things. I actually have a list of things in the book of nice ways to say no, thank you, or I can't come and I need to leave. And to just actually just read them aloud, say them a few times. They'll be easier for your brain to recall in the moment when you need them. 
I love that you have that. I mean, that is such a script that is helpful that nobody really thinks of how to do it. And a lot of us are not used to bowing out of stuff because we feel bad or we feel like we can be there. I mean, including PTA stuff, just be like, oh my gosh, sounds wonderful. I know you're going to find the right person to, to help you with this. I can't right now. My schedule is completely full, but you know, thank you for thinking of me. That's it. That's all you have to say. And we feel like as grown adults, we should be able to come up with simple (laughs) yes and no in the moment. We think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to navigate these moments easily. But the truth is it's hard. It's awkward. And uh, as cheesy as it may feel when you're by yourself and you're practicing saying those simple things, um, it's really worthwhile. I highly recommend it. It helped me so much. And, um, and then when you do say it, it's like you have this little internal like, yes, I did it. <laughs> I got through that. No, it's awesome. The other thing that I think is really important because it's so easy to feel like you're missing out or you're not going to all the things that typically would bring you joy or would mark this season is to create a seasonal bucket list. So what, like literally jot down, what are all the things, the fun things, the new things that you could do that you haven't done before or that aren't centered around drinking or that you used to do? as a kid, like driving around to see people's holiday lights. Like in the paper, there's always that list of the amazing holiday lights or going snowshoeing, going hiking, going sledding with kids, um, cutting down your own Christmas tree versus just going to a store or, you know, doing the the elf on the shelf. I know it's stupid, but like, um, if any parents know the elf on the shelf, like that's something that's pretty fun and you can get more creative with it when you're not drinking all the time. So, you know, there are different ways to bring joy that, that you might be really excited about that you don't Mm -hmm, even realize. mm -hmm. Because you're going to have a little more time in your life than you used to. This is, to me, was one of the most surprising and wonderful aspects of recovery that I hadn't anticipated. A lot of the reason I drank was because I was so stressed all the time. Part of the reason I was so stressed was because I was overscheduling myself. Part of the reason I was overscheduling myself was because I felt like I had to hustle for my worthiness. When I stopped drinking, just as you said, all of a sudden I felt better in the mornings. I had a little extra time. Um... I, I was able to drive places at night where I couldn't before because I was, you know, home doing my evening routine. But, you know, by eight or nine o'clock at night, I definitely sh- was not picking up the car keys anymore. I shouldn't have been driving. So oh, I hear to, just the freedom yeah. of thinking, hey, it's 10 p.m. Walmart's still open. <laughs> I'm going to go get some groceries so that I don't have to do that tomorrow. I mean, just you have energy, you feel good, and you have a lot more freedom because you're not managing this elephant of a problem of addiction. So I think that's a really great thing too, is that, yeah, you have more time to try some of these other things you have time to fill. So you might've thought, I can't do Elf on a Shelf. I don't have time for that. Oh, guess what? You're probably, I mean, if you don't, some people don't feel good for the first little while. Detoxing is uncomfortable and all of that. Yeah, there's a good chance you might have a little fresh energy to put towards things. 
Yeah. And it's experimenting too, like just trying new things and seeing if it's fun. I remember driving across the bridge from where I live to Seattle, Washington at like seven in the morning on a Saturday morning. And all these people were out there jogging and biking. And I was like, oh my God, do these people do this every weekend? Like it was an entire universe of people that I knew nothing about. I mean, maybe I did back in the day, but I was just like, look at them. I should go to a park early. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, I never thought of doing that. Huh? Something new. That's a good point. You know, something else I want to talk about when we're talking about the holidays, and I think this is an important part of this too, is that um, not everybody celebrates the same religious holidays and not, and not everybody celebrates any religious holidays. And when we were talking about resentment, I did talk to someone who said a big piece of her resentment is that the Christmas season is so much about Christmas that she felt like her faith was completely just disregarded and minimalized and people just assumed, you know, that you're Christmas shopping. People just assume. I mean, it's everywhere. And uh, she said that she had to really work hard to keep her resentments in check because um, she felt forgotten and not important during this time. And I think that that is something that is so important to remember too is that that falls into the category of assumptions we're assuming that everybody is having the same stresses you know um, we're assuming that everybody is overscheduled and overstressed out but some people are alone yeah. and that's hard um, some people are um, like I said feeling minimized because they don't celebrate certain holidays that others do or that um, I don't know, even people that my son is a vegan and here in Canada this weekend is is Thanksgiving weekend. And just to make sure I checked in with him and said, okay, so let's talk about the menu. I want to make sure there's enough for you to eat. And I want to make sure that you're okay with what else we're going to be serving. Like if that, that it's comfortable for you. And, um, you yeah. know, those are, those are things too. I mean, how many people have shown up at events and realize, oh, there's nothing on this menu that I can eat, you know, and they end up having to have carrots and dip for their dinner because they weren't considered. So it's almost a parallel experience to recovery too. So there's just so many ways that, um, so many levels to things. And what do you suggest about that? Because I hear you on feeling lonely, feeling excluded. Sometimes people have gone through divorce and it's their first holiday without their kids or loss where their parents aren't around for the first time or estranged children, like whatever it is, there are a million reasons why the holidays aren't you missing out on big parties or happy memories, but are also you feeling this deep sense of, of loss and loneliness and grief and and sort of otherness, which can be huge triggers. Um, what do you have suggestions for that? Or what's your best advice? Oh, I definitely think that if you're going through something like that, planning ahead is huge. Talking to a therapist or a counselor to try to head off and suss out what your expectations are. So are you expecting that it's going to be the way it always was, except you're somehow supposed to get through it without crying? Um, or are you expecting this is going to be terrible? I mean, is that the only option you're giving yourself? This is going to be terrible? I'm going to feel awful? I mean, first, I think some people feel like they are 
being disrespectful to the loved one that they're missing if they don't cry at Christmas, right? Like, cause you're not showing that you mm-hmm. miss them. So wait, how could, how else can we honor this person in a way that is lovely and happy and joyful? And maybe there might be a few tears, but could it also be beautiful? So again, planning ahead, talking to someone who is outside of the situation who can help you navigate it and identify what some of your beliefs are around it that might be what you're bumping up against and looking at new ways to handle it. So definitely, I don't think, and we talk again, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If everyone else is out at a Christmas dinner and you're going to be sitting home alone, are you going to be hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you know, sitting home alone while your children are at your ex-spouses for Christmas dinner and you're not? Okay, well, wait a minute. That's not going to be good for you. What can you do? Can you go volunteer somewhere so that you're at least not alone? Can you join someone else's event so that they can bring you in under their wing? Can you, do you have a sobriety a uh, support group that you can connect with on that day. Do you know someone else going through something similar? Um, so rethink that. And this is a chance to make some new traditions and build in the supports that you need. But it's not going to be easy. I mean, it just, and it doesn't need to be easy. And it can still be hard and it can still be good. You can still come through that feeling like, okay, that was hard. Maybe it wasn't how I would prefer it to be, but I did something good with that. And I feel okay when it's over. That's, that's a good place to start. Well, and there are two things I thought of when you were saying it's okay if it's hard. Like one is, I love the quote, we can do hard things. Like I just am like, yeah, you can do hard things. The second is, you know what, being lonely, being excluded, if that's how you feel, feeling a sense of loss. Yes, that's hard. So is over drinking and regret and having that self-loathing and that crappy talk and being hungover, that is hard too. And if you are sober and going through a hard thing, you get to process that and you get to be proud of yourself for doing a hard thing. And you get to have some sense of pride and peace, even if it's difficult and you're moving forward with something that's really important. So it's not that not drinking is hard and drinking is easy. You get to choose your heart and one is moving you forward with life. Yeah, I love that. That is so true. I also think it's important to remember that uh, it's just a day. It's a random day and you can have a wonderful event on a different day. (laughs) That's also a random day. So for example, um, my sister uh, has been divorced for many years and she has created an event with her kids that's earlier in December. And they're all, her children are all grown and several are married and, and have children of their own. Anyway, they all come to her house. They all get a new pair of pajamas and everybody puts on pajamas and has a big dinner and a gift exchange. And it's usually earlier, mid-December. And that is their Christmas. And she says, what difference does it make if it's December 14th or the 25th? And then it always frees yeah. up the 25th for them to go to the dad's side of the family. And that is really, really important to him. And he's really grateful that they never have to negotiate that. I mean, it was just something that she did early on because she said it really wasn't that big a deal to her. As long as she had something with her kids, as long as she had time for yeah. them to have that special event, she didn't care whether or not it was that day. So I think 
that is a great mindset as well too of like what is it that's really important to you the day on the calendar or the event that you're holding or the the exchange of love and gifts and and food together like really what's your goal there so it yeah. is a little bit of thinking outside the box and planning ahead and loosening up a little bit you know prioritizing yeah. what really matters when you want it um, reduce, you know, anger, um, resentment, self-pity, overwhelm, drama, tension, you just do. And it's not for the other person. You know, I know with divorced families, it can be difficult. There's a lot of baggage there and people not always being kind and understanding to each other. And I think when you opt out of some of that, you feel like, but they don't deserve it. It's not for them. It's yeah, for you. Right. You don't need that in your life. So it's not that you're letting them win because there is a lot of baggage and history and you likely were treated unfairly, but you're doing it for yourself. So you're finding something where you can drop the rope. I think of it like a tug of war that you're never going to win. They're just going to pull back harder. And the only way you win is by dropping the rope, but you're finding what you need and want. And you just are you're not butting heads all the time for your own peace mm -hmm, and joy. Mm -hmm. I really love the idea of the drama triangle. That's a really useful tool for me. So with the drama triangle, it's when we take a situation, um, Christmas dinner, and we insert it into the middle of a triangle, which has a victim and a villain and a hero. So um, it, it if something is just a reality, it's just a reality. But when it's a problem, when it's drama, is when you create into that situation, this person did that to me, and now I have to X, Y, Z. Or this person did that to you, and now I'm going to do this to fix it. That's a victim, a villain, and a hero, right? So if, if you're looking wow. at any situation... And you can identify that either you or someone else has cast those roles, then what you're dealing with is drama. And that's unnecessary. You have a situation. It can just be a situation. It doesn't have to be drama. It doesn't have to be a problem. It's just a reality. But if you're going to draw those roles and then, oh, then what happens? No, I'm not the villain. You're the villain. I'm the victim. <laughs> or I'm the hero. You're the victim. And that is so common in families, mm -hmm. right? With siblings, with parents, with exes. I mean, a lot of those childhood, a lot of those resentments and hostilities and, and stuff. I mean, that is from when you were eight and 10 and 12 years old. Like that is way back those dynamics and and you're an adult and it is hard to let that stuff go but you can also say I'm just not going to participate right, right. in this or I'm going to opt out of this event or I'm going to minimize my time there or you know I always say you know you should wake up every day and think how can I take care of myself today and sometimes that's mm -hmm. emotionally how can you take care of yourself in this situation with your sister, your brother, your uncle, whatever it is. And sometimes the only way to do it is to not go. And other ways is to talk to someone who you love, who is, you know, only spend time in a certain place. Like if the tension start, grab your kids, grab the pet, go right, for a walk. Right. Um, a great tip from my therapist about getting through those family things and avoiding the temptation to get into 
casting roles and creating drama and taking up your position on the triangle as either most of us like to be the hero, but we'll settle for the victim, right? <laughs> uh, but if we're bored, maybe we'll be the villain just to start some drama. But anyway, if you find yourself feeling that way, and you know, you said drop the rope. Well, if you drop the rope and say, fine, I'm dropping the rope, well, you're kind of being a victim or you're kind of being a hero. So you've got yeah. to set it down. Anyway, what my uh, therapist suggested is that she said, take a value that you really that's really important to me. So for me, that's kindness. Kindness is usually my guiding value. And I'll think, okay, I'm going to show up at this event. My only goal is to be kind. No matter what happens, I'm going to honor my value of kindness. So it doesn't matter if it's appreciated or acknowledged or validated. doesn't matter. I know I've been kind. I'm not going to be passive aggressive because that's not kind. I'm not going to be snarky because that's not kind. Um, I'm going to show up and be kind. And I remember standing on the steps of my parents' house with a plate of muffins for my dad one time. And I realized, oh gosh, I'm wanting his approval. I'm wanting to give him these muffins and have him say, oh, how wonderful. You're such a good baker. <laughs> you know? uh, and I had to stop and think before you ring that doorbell, Jean, you're here to be kind. Giving him these muffins are kind. And it doesn't matter if he throws them out or eats them or likes them or doesn't like, it does not matter. Your only goal is to show kindness. And so I waited until I could really get in that mind space before I rang the doorbell and said, hi, I brought you a treat, you know. And those are just some little reality checks that we can give ourselves of like, why am I here? What do I value? How can I honor my own values in this moment? And really resisting. If you find yourself in the middle of a drama triangle, and you'll hear it, you hear it in conversations, you feel it in your family, you can feel yourself getting sucked into it. The way to dismantle a drama triangle is to take a step towards another person. So if you are feeling the victim and someone is um, being a villain towards you or being a hero and saying, gosh, you know, I'm here to rescue you, you poor thing, you need my help. They're trying to cast you as a victim. They're trying to draw you into a drama triangle. Um, take a step towards them. So you can take a step towards them by saying, you are such an amazing person. Like, let them be the hero. Step out of that victim thing and focus on them. Or if someone is trying to make mm -hmm. you, um, uh, is trying to say that you are the villain, they're trying to cast you as the villain and that they're the victim, take a step towards them. Gosh, yes, I really hear how this is hurtful for you. Like, validate their feelings. You're stepping towards them. And that shrinks your corner. You know, you want to take that triangle and make it a line. If you refuse your corner by stepping towards one of the other positions and empathizing with that person, you immediately, poof, the triangle's gone. The drama is doesn't exist. Well, you're, you're doing two things, right? You're disarming them because they're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. You're kind of taking away their leg that they were standing on and you're sort of killing them with kindness, yeah, right? Yeah. It's it's a couple different strategies, um, you know, which is not easy to execute if you're kind of dug in. But I can see how you just are kind of ending the conversation by not continuing mm -hmm, to pull backwards. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Don't dig in. Don't dig in. Yeah. One thing I wanted to um, talk about was New Year's because... I personally, I think new traditions are great. And I have a couple that I absolutely love on New Year's and I want to hear about yours too. So 
One thing that I've found that I'm just the biggest fan of is flying wish paper, which you can get on Amazon. I swear to God, it's like 12 bucks or 15 bucks. There are a million different kinds. And it's this little tissue paper that you bring out and um, you get to write a wish on like, they're like 12 or 15 pieces of paper. Like I do it, my husband, my daughter, my son, my mother-in-law, who's always there at New Year's. And then we do three just for the world. Like they're not our personal ones. And you roll them up and you put them on like a little plate and you light them on fire. And then they go up in the air and your wish just takes off. And my daughter loves to catch the ashes in a little cup, but that's beside the point. That's not a thing you have to do. But sometimes we share our wishes with each other. Sometimes we keep them private. Um, We turn off all the lights to see the little ashes go up. I mean, it is beautiful and wonderful. And it's a way of focusing on your dreams and the future and, you know, no alcohol required. Um, I also make vision boards. I'm really into vision boards and, you know, quotes and things. And I make them every year. That's sort of my New Year's um, Eve tradition. And my daughter loves to do it with me. And so that's something that's really fun in terms of they're not resolutions, right? Vision boards aren't resolutions. They are your dreams and your intentions and what you want to keep front of mind. And they remind you for weeks and months ahead of what you want to bring into your life. And then the third thing is like, get a little untraditional. Like we used to ask my son, like, what do you want to do on New Year's Eve or what do you want? And he said, I want a birthday cake. So like now we make a birthday cake every year. He's 12. It's just kind of fun. So we do the flying wish paper. I do vision boards. We do birthday cake. And then, of course, my daughter's six. So we do the East Coast. We live in Seattle. We pretend the East Coast <laughs> fireworks are actually midnight. Then we send her to bed and everybody just watches a movie afterwards. But that's our New Year's Eve and it's lovely. That's awesome. Uh, One of my favorite New Year's traditions is the word of the year, to choose a word of the year. It's something that um, an online group that I'm in does. And so that's where I learned about it. And so every uh, year I start thinking about what's my word of the year going to be for next year. So in past years, one of my words of the year was utilize. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very pragmatic word to choose, but yeah, I was going to say that's I know, not it's like the dream, usual. love, dance, but I thought no, I'm I'm going to be a good a good um user of these tools that I have. You know, I'd been in recovery for a few years, I'd learned all this stuff, and my goal for the year was to use everything I had learned. Like actually put this into practice, you know. It's not enough to own every Brené Brown book. It's not enough to listen to every self-help podcast. You've actually really got to try to use the things you've learned. So that was a really helpful word of the year. And this last year, my word was shine. And um, I had a coach tell me a few years ago, oh, you hide your light. And because I often, um, I don't tell my friends and family all the things that I do. I don't, you know, if I want to, I won a beautiful award from She Recovers a few years ago in New York, and I didn't tell uh, a bunch of people in my life about it because I just, I, I didn't want them to feel bad or know that about me or, you know, I mean, it was such a lovely thing. And they, of course, they would have been happy for me. But she said, what you're doing is you're hiding your light and you need to shine. You're not being your authentic self if you are not standing in your truth. 
And um, that was a really challenging thing for me because I don't want to be braggy and that you can shine without being braggy, right? You can shine without being obnoxious, without being self-promoting. And so that has been, I love how that's just such a gentle idea of I'm not going to hide my light anymore. And I'm not going to, it's really a form of people pleasing, which is a form of manipulating others. So in hiding your lie, you might think, oh, I'm a bit of a martyr. But the truth is, you're really kind of trying to manipulate other people and control how they see you, even if it is under the guise of being um, less than. So choosing a word of the year is a great tradition. I love that. And then um, just before we go, because it's Thanksgiving here in Canada, I'll tell you a tradition that I've done a few times that I really love. And that is whoever you're having for dinner, I bring these um, scrapbooking papers that are just kind of like a, a quarter page and they're patterned on one side. And I write each guest's name at the top of the paper. And then I do a fan fold down it and I pass them around and I ask each person to write something that they're grateful for about the person whose name is on the paper. So you might get five papers and you just have to write something on each of them of why you're grateful for Campbell, why you're grateful for Mallory. And so you write a little thing and then you fold it and it gets passed around the room and the next person writes on it and folds it. And then I take that and I put that on that person's plate. It becomes their name card on their plate. And when you sit down to dinner, you get to unfold this little list of lovely compliments about yourself of why the people at that table are grateful that you're there. And I love that tradition. It's just the sweetest. And it gets everybody in that spirit of gratitude and love for each other. And if they don't know somebody, they can say, I'm grateful you wore that tie. You know, <laughs> I love that tie. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful you're here so I can get to know you. And it's just, it's a really wonderful yeah. tradition. And so um, I think even. I love that. I'm going to start. Yeah, that I recommend year. it. That's so awesome. my family is coming for dinner uh, in the garage and we have a socially distanced uh, dinner in the garage with heaters set up and we'll have the garage doors open and tables in different corners so that each uh, COVID cluster family can sit together. So we'll be having this crazy bananas uh, 2020 <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. But I think that's something really lovely that we can still do is that we can still share a gratitude for one another. Yeah. Well, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for coming on and sharing all these tips. I know they're going to be really useful. Oh, thank you for having me. And just so your listeners know, they can find out about this uh, book and everything else I do, jeanmccarthy.ca. And there's a link there for books. There's a link for my podcast and my blog and everything there. So that's the simplest way to find it. And I just, I really wish the best for everybody. Take care of yourselves out there. It's not easy being sober in a drinky world, but we can do it. And we're not alone. And we are worth the extra effort that it takes. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jean. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. 
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.